DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is a professor of spiritual theology at St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver, Colorado. He's a graduate of the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome. He specializes in the wisdom of the saints and the mystics of the church. He is also the author of Hidden Mountain, Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer. In this episode, we examine the life of St. Catherine of Siena. Pope Benedict XVI has said that Catherine still today speaks to us and impels us to walk courageously toward holiness, to be ever more fully disciples of the Lord. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis, I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Anthony. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you, Chris. In this very special edition of the series, we're going to take a look at the life and some of the teachings, some of the reflections of St. Catherine of Siena. Uh, what do we know about her, Anthony? Well, she was the 24th of 25 children, born in Siena, a little um, Italian town. And at this time, the way Italy was, the cities were more the states, constituted the states. Italy was like a confederacy of city-states. And so, and Siena was one of these cities, and her dad was kind of involved with politics. Uh, he he dyed wool and made considerable money. I, I think uh, Francis of Assisi's father was involved in very similar kinds of work. I think the year before she was born, to give you a sense of the times, the year before she was born, the whole of Europe was engulfed in what was called the Black Death. It was a, a plague that was just killing everybody. This plague would periodically pop up uh, throughout her life. About the time she was born, they, uh, she wasn't very involved with relief efforts. But part of her sanctity and witness was she organized the Dominicans to courageously kind of take care of the sick and the dying. Mm -hmm. And it was courageous because whenever you were around people with the plague, you were, of course, at risk for getting the plague yourself. So anyway, she was born around 1347, somewhere in there. She lives into the 1380s. And today she's considered the patroness of Italy because Florence was, was kind of under interdict or, or uh, maybe Florence and Siena. Mm -hmm. She went to Avignon to ask the Pope to lift the interdict because it was it, causing such grave financial harm to everybody. Poverty was going to destroy the whole area. And while uh, her intercession to the Holy Father was being listened to, the Holy Father very much appreciated her ardor of life and the sincerity and her zeal for the truth. And the Lord put on her heart that the Pope should return back to Rome. And so she convinced him to do that, in the kind of friendship they developed. What this did was it re-restored the Roman papacy, and in doing that brought peace to the Italian peninsula, but only briefly. Her life kind of ends in disaster. All the great things that she had worked for in terms of trying to reform the church, in terms of trying to bring peace to Italy and, and peace in the church itself, all of it kind of fell apart before she died. Even while she was dying, it was falling apart. And in Rome, if you go to Rome, you'll find a statue out in front 
on your way to the Vatican, mm-hmm. and it's a statue of St. Catherine of Siena. She used to kind of uh, crawl down the Via Giulia all the way to uh, St. Peter's every day to pray for the church, to pray for the Holy Father. And it seemed like when she died, all the great things she was working for kind of fell apart. But in that hiddenness of failure and suffering and disappointment, God had already begun to bear great fruit, and the great fruit was kind of a new generation of saints that would come after her. That moment when you were speaking of, she was only 33 years old. Yeah, she she packed a lot into a very short life, and it, it was very intense. Her writings that we have, if she didn't do any writings, if she only did <laughs> did what mm-hmm. I told you, it would have been you know, a terrific moment in, in church history. She would have already... It, it would have been sufficient for uh, to make her and have her included in all the history books and to be a great saint. In addition to all that, she was also dictating and writing. She didn't have any formal education, but the Holy Spirit gave her the gift of being able to write at, at a certain stage of her life. But most of her writings were done by dictation. And then after she dictated them, uh, she would edit them with her own hand. And And among the greatest writings that she did is is a work called The Dialogue, which is a conversation she has with God the Father. But she also dictated uh, any number of letters, several letters. I've, I've never had the honor of being able to study those letters, but there's a connection between the letters and the dialogue. What we do know, whether it's the letters or the dialogue, when she dictated, the description of the time is that at the time, those who were around her, who were present at the dictations, she would go into a state of mystical ecstasy, and uh, with her uh, arms crossed over her chest, she would walk around a room with her her face lifted up to heaven. It was obvious to everyone that she she wasn't really present to them, but she was present enough to be able to to speak, and they would take down what they said, and sometimes. The, the words would come from her personally in the form of a letter to someone. Sometimes, though, and more often, she would go dictate a the dialogue, uh, and God the Father would be conversing with her. And so sometimes she would be speaking to God the Father, and sometimes God the Father would be speaking to her, and she would report what God the Father was saying, and scribes would be taking this down. For a long time, for many, many years, many people thought that because of the, the state of the manuscripts and mm-hmm. and we, we kind of lost the original manuscripts in their original state, a lot of people thought, well, this is very uh, sentimental, very kind of pious, individually, uh, individual sections have some really neat insights, but, but they didn't really see the whole of it. But in the 1960s, there was a Signora Giuliana Cavallini. In 1968, she published a critical edition of Catherine's Dialogue. That changed scholarship around St. Catherine. The people today are more apt to talk about St. Catherine as the brilliant theologian because her writings contained a certain kind of theological genius. They will even speak of a kind of relentless logic. Her use of metaphors is so rich that you don't, fully realize what she's doing until you really, really spend some time thinking about it. And as you think through what she's doing with her metaphors, all of a sudden you realize she's communicating some very, very sophisticated theological ideas, but in a way that seems so simple, 
you don't even quite realize everything that's been told to you. So quite apart from being a remarkable historical figure in the reform of the, of the church, she's even more a remarkable mystic and writer, a spiritual writer for the church. And that's one of the reasons the church named her as one of the great doctors of the church. I believe that was in 1970. Paul VI uh, named her with Teresa of Avila as the first two women doctors of the church. Yeah, a, a remarkable experience when you think about it, because when you have the opportunity to read the dialogues or the letters, and then you hear of the events of her life, here is somebody who has not been confined to a cloister. This was not something that she was called to do. She was very active out in the world, attended to many, many people, both physically and spiritually, and yet she was able to have that solitude of in her heart. Is that a, a way that I could describe it properly, Anthony? Yeah, I think that the cell of self-knowledge, I think she calls it. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, Elizabeth of the Trinity and I think Therese of Lisieux in the late 19th century will be influenced by this idea. You'll find ideas like this in their writings. Well, they're getting it from Catherine of Siena. There was something of a revival of her influence in the church in the late 19th century. And this particular idea, the cell of self-knowledge, Catherine of Siena believes that you can't really begin to follow Christ fully in a real way until you grow in self-knowledge. And the only way to come into self-knowledge is through the blood of Jesus. This literally means appropriating to yourself what Jesus has done for us on the cross, receiving his life from the cross into our hearts and into our lives and letting that life conform us into him. The more we do that, the more we let Jesus reveal to us the truth of who we are, uh, we enter into this kind of solitude of self-knowledge, and it's there that God can begin to do beautiful things with our lives. It's there that devotion finally becomes capable of being led into maturity or growing into maturity. The self-knowledge that comes through welcoming the blood of Christ into our lives is, for St. Catherine, kind of the beginning of the spiritual life. One of the things in the dialogues that has always just really penetrated my own spirituality, I mean, it really kind of convicted me in a very real way, is that teaching that the Father gives Catherine about how it's so important to show love by taking care of your neighbor and to doing good. And yet he's very, very pointed when the father in speaking to Catherine says that many people run around without discernment and they they want to do good here. They want to do good there. And it's good of their own choosing, but they don't. I'm, and of course, I'm paraphrasing, but they don't stop and they don't ask me. They don't know if they're doing my will. And so they do a lot of good, 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 but it's not necessarily the holy good. It's not It's not what I'm calling them to do. Yeah, uh, this is the two main virtues that you find in Catherine's work. And her treatment on the virtues are really quite incredible um, on a variety of levels. But the, the two virtues she emphasizes above all, First is charity, and she'll talk about the Father sending Jesus into the misery of humanity in the fiery chariot of, 
of charity, <laughs> you know, you know, mm-hmm. and so, so kind of like we're being invaded by God's love. And, and so that this is a huge theme through her writings. She'll, she'll say there are not enough works that we could possibly do to atone for our sins or to do anything that really honors God because all our works are finite and God is infinite. Your works always fall short of the glory of God. The works always fall short of the sorrow that we should have for over our sins. We can never satisfy God's uh, divine justice by our finite works. But she says, with love, however, because God's love is infinite and God's love is in us, when we do finite works with his love in us, his love gives a infinite dimension to our finite works. And so love is a central theme, an interior theme to how we conduct our lives. For her, it does the external works Specific external works don't matter as much as the love with which we put into them. And so with this, and uh, do you see how beautiful it could be? You could be uh, doing more good for the church by, with love, folding laundry and, mm-hmm. and, and preparing a, a household or picking up the kids from school with love or driving down the freeway with love. You could be doing more for the kingdom of God in those little finite works because of the love you have in them than any number of, of other great things that draw attention to yourself. So the, the second theme that you were talking about, that the second virtue that kind of goes with this this first disposition of love, the second one that she says is uh, kind of the directs everything else is the virtue of discretion or discernment. That virtue is the virtue that is attentive or vigilant or vulnerable to the will of God. So it's not what I want to do in my fancy in this moment because I think it's the good thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's rather, what is God asking of me in this circumstance that I have before me right now? How can I live this present moment that God has entrusted to me, filling it with all the love that I can so that I can make this a moment worthy of him? And again, it's not the work itself or the great achievement that's accomplished. It's not about numbers or effectiveness. It's about the love with which we, we do what we see God is asking us to do in, in any given situation. The more we love, the more it gives honor to, to God. And, and so do you see that kind of helps your discretion? Discretion kind of proceeds in each situation. In, given this situation before me right now, what is it that I can do that is most most like the love of Jesus? How can I conduct myself in this affair right here, right now, that is most like the love of Jesus? And that's that's a vastly different kind of question than what can I do in this situation that will be the most effective thing or what will help the most people in this situation or what will draw – and this is more like the – what will draw people's attention to me the most or what will protect my place in, in the family or in the church or in the community the most? You know, those are the kinds of questions with which we discern. And Catherine would, would say that's a wicked kind of discernment. The real discernment is a discernment that allows us to be obedient to the will of God the Father, obedient to him out of love, just as Jesus loved. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app? 
in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming, Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. A Prayer of St. Catherine of Siena My nature is fire. In your nature, eternal God, I shall come to know my nature. And what is my nature, boundless love? It is fire, because you are nothing but a fire of love. And you have given humankind a share in this nature, for by the fire of love, you created us. And so, with all other people and every created thing, you made them out of love. Oh, ungrateful people, what nature has your God given you? His very own nature. Are you not ashamed to cut yourself off from such a noble thing through the guilt of deadly sin? Oh, eternal Trinity, my sweet love, You, light, give us light. You, wisdom, give us wisdom. You, supreme strength, strengthen us. Today, eternal God, let our cloud be dissipated so that we may perfectly know and follow your truth in truth with a free and simple heart. God, Come to our assistance. Lord, make haste to help us. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, And we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile and the more listeners will discover us listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. whole idea that you have to die to yourself. Humility, humility, humility. Know who you are in reality and then die to your own wants and your own desires. Because if you truly are in a relationship with the Father, you're going to see that He wants 
for you so much more than what you can possibly imagine, but you get in the way because you you need to have control or you think you need to have control and this is what I want instead of surrendering. And that, that seems to be a big part of what Catherine's message is as well, isn't it, Anthony? Well, I think you've you've really hit it, and it kind of takes us back to this this theme of the cell of solitude, the cell of self knowledge. If you look at Catherine's writings, uh, something that she emphasizes over and over again is um, the need to weep for yourself uh, over your own sinfulness, but also the need to weep over the sinfulness of your brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. and so this. Weeping over sin, uh, this kind of humility, self-knowledge, uh, the Eastern Church would speak about the, the gift of tears. In the West, we would speak about this more as the gift of compunction. It's, compunction is when the truth of God pierces our heart and reveals us to ourselves and reveals our own wickedness to ourselves. But not only that, in revealing our own wickedness to ourselves, we realize that our wickedness, our our sinfulness, our failures to love have hurt, really hurt people around us and contributed to a whole world of sin, contributed to the sin of others. And so we weep for our own sinfulness, but we also weep because of what we've done to our neighbors and how we've led our neighbors into sin. And we weep over their sinfulness because, and what's what's causing the sorrow? What What is the source of sorrow? The source of sorrow is God's love is so beautiful, so rich, so powerful, and so needed. And because of our sinfulness, that love can't be fruitful in in the world. We crowd it out. We we kill it in our lives, and we kill it in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And so once you begin weeping for your own sinfulness and kind of acknowledging the truth, my life is the way it is because of my actions. I have uh, been hard and callous to the love of, of the Father revealed in Jesus. And, and my callousness, my lack of love, my, my coldness to God has hurt my neighbors and contributed to them being cold too. And, and so the, the only proper response to this situation is to, is to weep over it, to allow ourselves to, to weep. And if we can't weep, to beg God for the gift to be able to weep over it. I think one of the biggest problems in the renewal of the church, we don't take the time to weep over our sinfulness. We we might kind of intellectually admit that we have sinned. We might intellectually acknowledge that my sin has somehow con- contributed to the sin of others. Uh, we might acknowledge the sin of others also is blocking God's love and good. And, you know, okay, all right, God, but now how are we going to fix it? And we go right on into the problem solving, but we haven't we haven't really let the truth affect us, touch us, wound us uh, in the deepest core of who we are. Catherine was all about letting herself be wounded by the truth. She was about letting herself be inconvenienced by the truth all the way to the point of it causing her heartbreak when she was pulling herself uh, to the Vatican every day in the last days of her life, uh, weeping for the church. It was because the truth of what the church needed to be in her time, the truth about what God wanted to do through the church and what, in fact, was going on 
in the church was breaking her heart. Mm -hmm. And the good news about the souls that will let themselves be vulnerable to the truth like this, like St. Catherine was, in this kind of cell of self-knowledge, the cell of solitude. We make yourself vulnerable to the truth of God, so it's heartbreaking. The, the, Catherine's message is, this is the fruitful place to be. Mm-hmm. This, is, this kind of suffering is a disguise, and it, it, it disguises the joy we have in being loved by the Father and in loving the Father. It, and so uh, some people hear this and they're kind of repulsed by it and they, they think, oh, what a dismal, awful life. But it's actually the most joyful, free, deepest, most fulfilling life you could have. Catherine is blazing, trailblazing away for us all the way back in the, the 14th century. Uh, she's blazing away that we need to follow today. We, we today need not to be afraid of suffering in love or even suffering because that anguished love of Christ revealed on the cross for our sake, that is a love that knows the will of the Father and suffers it in the world and makes space in the world for God the Father to accomplish great things. So the weeping isn't just feeling sorry for yourself. The weeping is actually a petition. You know, God, here's the situation. We need you to act. Have mercy on us. And that cry for mercy is what brings the Father's love down on the world. Mm, Beautiful. Oh, you know, there is so much to talk about when we talk about a doctor of the church, and in particular, someone like Catherine of Siena. And in this special episode, we only have so much time. But in this particular segment, I'd like to also touch on, if it's all right, Anthony, that here is a woman who is, well, she's been termed a mystical doctor of the church. She's had incredible encounters in that deep prayer that she has been taken into by God. And yet she is very instructive in teaching us, because of the Father's teachings to her, not to desire gifts and consolations and the dangers of trying to control our experience in prayer. Consolations that you might receive in prayer in this uh, become, at this stage of your spiritual life, something that you you're not really seeking. If you receive them, you're grateful to God for them, of course, but you're also kind of wary of them at the same time. You're not wary of them as a gift from God. You appreciate being the love that God has for you, but what you're wary of is the fact that you delight in them the wrong way. Mm-hmm. The, the, our tendency to abuse God's gifts extends even to spiritual gifts he tries to offer us, but a soul that is totally caught up in the love of God, totally caught up in a love that that suffers to affirm the good things that God is doing in the world, the, to affirm the children that God has put into the world who, whose dignity are besieged. That love doesn't really have any more patience for the unhealthy satisfaction we might get from it. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes a grace happens in prayer. You're patting yourself on the back because you think you've arrived. Catherine is saying, if you're caught up in the love of Jesus, you have mo- no more time for that. You humbly accept the gift uh, that the Father gives you because he's given it to you. But what you want is you want what the Father wants. And what the Father wants is that no soul on this earth should perish. No one should be abandoned and no one should despair. Everyone should know the love of God. And if that is the burning passion of the Father, such a burning passion that he would send his only begotten son to die on a cross for us, 
that needs to be the burning passion of our lives too. And against that, do you see all the spiritual calculation and cleverness and attempts to manipulate God kind of dies by the wayside? You're caught up into something wholly better, so much more beautiful. And that's Catherine's vision. No wonder she's a doctor of the church. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. It truly, truly is. Anthony, I just thank you so much for just giving this glimpse into not only the life, but the incredible uh, font of teachings that we can glean from St. Catherine of Siena. I, I wish we had more time, but any final thoughts? The devotion that Catherine of Siena has to God the Father, I think, is very, very important for our time. And I, I hope those who are listening have a chance to read the dialogues, because what you find is our Heavenly Father has uh, revealed in Catherine's writings, so consistent with what's in the Scripture, our Heavenly Father is concerned about sin in the world and the misery that's here and the fact that his children suffer from the burden of sin. God the Father is not happy about that. It's not a state of affairs that he's at peace with, and he's working. He's at work in the world through his Son to remedy this. But this is the even greater thing that we see about God the Father. For God the Father, his greatest perspective on the world is not that the world is a fallen place filled with sin needing punishment. What moves the Father's heart in the world is that he has implicated himself in it with his Son. He loves those he's created, and he's implicated them in, his per, in their personal plights through his Son. The great attribute of the Father that we find in the writings of St. Catherine is that the Father loves us, and he yearns for us to come home. And even when we're hard-hearted and we've done very, very wicked things and we're deserving of the eternal punishment, God the Father, Catherine of Siena writes, is ready for us to turn back. And when we do, he comes to us with open arms. There is no sin too great that the Father cannot forgive because he sees us through the eyes of his crucified and risen Son. Mm, beautiful. Anthony, thank you so much. Thank you, and what a, a wonderful saint to be able to share with you today. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or download the free Discerning Hearts app located at the iTunes and Google Play app stores. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.